Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another tumultuous week, ladies and gentlemen, and we are still still here. Meanwhile, the Brexit negotiations are entering the last chance saloon. Again, the government has once more warned us that tighter restrictions might be required for the latest COVID outbreaks in London schools, and Wales is still a basket case. After all, nothing much changes really, does it? Uh, let's see, uh, we'll be picking up the baton of public service with our favourite statistician, uh, Jamie Jenkins, to get a handle on just where all this pre-Christmas cheer is going to lead us. Because at the end of the day, uh, the figures that we are being told are showing up rather than down really aren't particularly convincing as far as I'm concerned. And if you're living in Wales right now, you must be thinking, blimey, they're now shutting the schools. There's word and talk that they're going to sell uh, no alcohol whatsoever, apart from online, that you'll be banned from buying it in a supermarket. Uh, We're told that London might be going into tier three, all because of one particular borough, which is so far east of London that it's not really in London. It's closer to France than it is to London Bridge, as far as I'm concerned. So what on earth is going on? Uh, We'll also be talking to Simon Calder, who is, of course, the travel guru from The Independent. He'll be telling us why there's now a problem with the Canary Islands. And we'll be checking in with our showbiz expert, Johnny Seifer, uh, for an appreciation of Dame Barbara Windsor, Babs, who passed away last night peacefully at her home. If anybody ever personified what it is about Britain that everybody loves, I think it's Barbara Windsor, isn't it? I can't imagine anyone not wondering why and uh, what is going to happen to her next and... um, just generally enjoying the stuff that she used to do. Forget about what she did at EastEnders, because Johnny is a big EastEnders fan. Just remember all of her career, the carry-on films, all the famous scenes that we all remember so well. We'll be talking about that as well. And as ever, of course, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear your hopes, your fears, and even your tears, because we are the home of common sense, and you are the people to bring it to us. We've heard an awful lot of you over the course of this week. We'd like to hear from more. 0344-499-1000. It's also a very special Friday, as it is the the last one before Christmas for producer Marta Malagon. She is heading back to Spain to see her family for the first time in a very long time. And as a result, uh, she's put together uh, the Perrier Awards of the Year which I'm really, really looking forward to because it will show what a genius I've been over the course of the last sort of several months uh, and how few mistakes I've made uh, during my broadcasting time. Also, Baroness Kate Hoey is going to be here. She's going to talk us through what's happening with the European Union and the scare stories that some people are spreading about a no-deal Brexit. Plus, Kevin O'Sullivan's going to be here with an update on the Woke Brigade, the Sky News scandal, and what he's got for us this weekend on Talk Radio. 03444991000. And as if all of that is not enough for you, Dr Rakeem... Ibasan is here too. He's got a report out on Islamic terrorism in the UK. We'll bring you up to date with all of that as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. There we are. You see, I didn't even know the music was going to end. And then it just came in there, just absolutely on time. Now, we've got lots to talk about this morning. We've got lots of people to uh, uh, to refer to, lots of people to hear from, lots of people to listen to. But also, of course, we want to hear from you. So please do give us a call, 0344-499-1000. Let's kick things off with what on earth is going on with the old COVID scenario. Jamie Jenkins is here, former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics. Jamie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Very nice to see you again. Um, obviously, I suppose we ought to start with Wales because we heard last night or yesterday afternoon, rather disappointingly, if you live there, um, two things. One, that the schools are likely to close down. And two, um, that alcohol sales may be officially kind of banned completely other than online. Well, yeah, the, the kind of the situation in Wales at the moment then is that over the last kind of four five, uh, four weeks, we've seen this rapid rise in the number of cases per mm. 100,000. And we get uh, a couple of times a week, we get the, the first minister or the health minister coming on showing this chart, showing the rapid rise in, in cases for every 100,000. And it's actually the highest 
it's ever been in Wales. It may have been higher in the first wave, but we know, Mike, we weren't testing people as much during right. the first wave, so we didn't identify the cases. But what they don't say at the, at the briefing is that we've actually seen a 70% increase in the number of tests in mm. Wales over the last kind of month. So we, I think we had this kind of capacity in Wales of around 45,000, 50,000 tests. It was kind of hovering around that for about six weeks. And we've started seeing an increase, I think, because more capacities become available to do mm. more of these tests in the country. And as you know, when you test more people, you get more cases. So so the, a big part of the rapid rising cases in Wales that have been identified, are, so I say identified, that means that let's assume that we were doing the same amount of tests, say a month, two months ago, I'm sure cases would have been much higher there because you only obviously identify cases through the number of tests that you've got. So, so a big part of the rapid rise we've seen in Wales has been through more tests. Mm. It's, it's real. It is a real increase going on in Wales at the moment. Uh, when you look at the percentage of tests that come back positive, it's not as high as what we reached at the peak on the 1st of November, but it is creeping back up, mm. Mike. And I think what we've noticed in Wales over the last week is, is, the, is the first minister and the health minister have been kind of coming on, on, on the radio and on the television, etc., kind of blaming the public mm. uh, for public Yeah, behavior. which is pretty low blow, isn't it? To blame the public for not doing what they've been told to do. Well, well, I think with the with the behaviour, there's, there's two aspects to this. Obviously, um, government policy does have an impact on behaviour. And mm. um, when you so we had the fire break that came in towards the the back end of October, and it runs through to the start of November. Now, when you have a fire break, you put a lot of restrictions in. And I, I and just before the fire break came in, I I kind of said that all it's going to do really is press pause on the button yeah. uh, with regards to all of this because the vi- you know the virus isn't going to go away etc so so what we saw is cases went up be- at the start because of the time lag they started to come down and then we kind of went into the situation in Wales where they were very kind of it was like a free for all i i saw kind of on social media people piling into kind of shops supermarkets going back out to restaurants pubs etc so you've kind of got two weeks worth of demand all going out at the same time mm. so public behavior is also affected by these fire breaks so there's talk of having another one perhaps towards the end of December. But as we know, that will probably just kind of pause the situation again and then it'll kind of accelerate uh, as we go in towards the back end of January. So so I think for me, Mike, that there's a few things really. Yeah, cases are rising. Uh, that's an important thing. And there's a lot of talk in Wales as well at the moment about the, the NHS in crisis. Mm. Uh, and another interesting statistic on this, and again, there is a crisis in the NHS, but it's not specifically down to huge amounts of rising COVID patients. So the number of patients for any condition in Wales in intensive care at the moment hasn't increased over the last month. But what we've seen is the number of beds available for, for new patients come down dramatically yeah. over the last four weeks. But that's, that's, all, actually- but that's always been the case in Wales, hasn't it? I mean, Wales, uh, uh, outside of all of the uh, other problems that the NHS in England might have, has always been bad at running its own health service. And it's always been uh, crisis time every single uh, November and December, isn't it? Well, what's, what's kind of driving that big decrease in beds available at the moment is just staff shortages. So staff sicknesses mean that there's fewer beds available. And and the total number of people in hospital in, at the moment in, in Wales, Mike, is is actually similar to what we had in the middle of September. So, right. so overall beds aren't any higher. But what we're seeing is more staff are off sick. And that's what's leading to the thing. Not necessarily that more and more kind of patients are going into hospital putting a lot more demand on the nhs no exactly right and also you've you've said that uh, very clearly in in on your twitter account that you know the number of cases uh, in hospital has not risen and i mean this is what bothers me about all of this jamie because we're about to do the same thing now here in london uh, where uh, the, the, the the powers that be have decided it's a good idea to start testing lots of school children in various schools around Kent, um, around um, uh, the, the southeast of England, East London in particular. And all of that is going to mean that more uh, cases are going to be found, that the numbers are going to rise. And people were asking me last night, is it better to shut the schools like they're doing in Wales or is it better to test them? And I would say, I suppose on balance, it's better not to shut the schools because for parents who need uh, to be able to send their kids to school so they can go to work, that's a good thing. But nobody seems to be saying unlike you and I when we have these conversations, um, is it not the case that these increased numbers are simply increased numbers because of the testing and and, and where they're not really increased numbers as a result of anybody getting sicker? So I think, like, say, in Wales, we are seeing a percentage of tests coming back 
uh, going up, but it's not as much as the big rapid rise in the number of tests, etc. And, and that is the problem that I've always identified mm. through the pandemic is when you're comparing, say, the northwest London, the, the southwest, etc. That's a bit of an issue where the number of tests might be varying. So it's, yeah. it's important then, I think, Mike, to start focusing back on on the death figures. Right. Uh, in London and the southeast, from the latest ONS statistics that we have, um, deaths there in London and the southeast are no higher than the normal five-year mm. range that we've seen over the last five years. So, right. so that's probably a better indicator. It's a couple of weeks lag on that. We are starting to see admissions in those areas, uh, hospital admissions, that is, starting to creep up. But um, the big issue that we've seen in this kind of second wave, if you're going to see, is this big north-south divide. Yeah. And, and, and we've talked previously on this, Mike, that there are a number of things that, I think that need to be a bit more transparent with all of this. So uh, I'll just talk about the first wave. We had this care home uh, issue in terms of people dying in care homes. Right. I viewed on your show and on many shows, families complaining that they shut out of care homes. They can't go and see their loved ones. Mm. Now, if you look at the latest statistics from ONS, uh, one in five of the COVID deaths have been in care homes. Yeah. So yeah. how are these care homes starting to become infected again? Is it because you're having staff who haven't got any symptoms going in, taking the virus in. Yeah. So coming back to your point, Mike, about should we be testing all the school children? Well, wouldn't it be better to save lives to test all of the care home care workers on a daily basis right. with these new, these new rapid tests? Yeah, I mean, my understanding of the care home situation is that they're getting tested once a week. Uh, in care homes, which is which is better than, than not being tested once a week, I suppose. But I also spoke to somebody this week uh, whose daughter works for the NHS and she's a she's a carer who doesn't go to care homes specifically, but goes to individual homes of individual uh, old people who need looking after. And she has never been tested. And you think, well, that's just bonkers, isn't it? Well, we've seen in Wales, uh, and I've seen reports that this is an acute problem in England as well. So this isn't just unique to Wales. So since the start of September, we've had over 2,000 patients in Wales who've actually gone into hospital uh, without COVID. And the Public Health Wales have said that they've probably or definitely caught COVID in hospital. Mm. And that's partly, I would imagine, down to kind of maybe infection control within the hospital. And maybe, you know, unfortunately, staff who have no symptoms, who have the virus, are, are passing that on. Now, what we've seen with those 2000 cases, a big number of those, we don't know the exact number of, because that information hasn't been made available, have been linked to actual the, the death figures that we're getting. And and just yesterday in Wales, one health board had to issue an apology because they, they put a COVID patient on a normal ward with, with a cancer patient. Or right. most of the ward then start caught COVID. So I think we talk a lot about fire breaks, lockdowns. And, and, I, and I've said before, yeah, if you if you restrict movement, it, it does have an impact on, on the number of cases. But we know the impact that has on the wider economy as well with regards to all of this. But there are issues that we have more control over that we don't seem to be talking about from the government's perspective, which is these rising deaths in care homes, the rising mm. deaths of people catching them in hospital, where a fire break or uh, a lockdown doesn't fix that problem. And are we shining a light in the wrong areas? Well, I mean, you'd have to say, uh, Jamie, that looking at what's been going on in Wales since way before uh, the fire break lockdown, um, it seems remarkable that no one, uh, without any sort of sense of irony, is talking about the fact that maybe none of it's working. Because in Wales, where the lockdowns have been quite severe and where now the First Minister, Mark Drakeford, is talking about, you know, reducing the ability for anybody to have a drink in a pub, um, the, the cases and the numbers are still going up. So isn't there anyone in the administration in Wales going, maybe we're actually doing the wrong thing here? Well, I think because I, obviously I live in Wales and, and what it kind of feels to me when I look at the public and you see a reaction on not just on social media, but just talking to friends. I think the first minister and the health minister kind of reminds me of a bit like a football manager who's lost a dressing room yeah. in that the, the, the kind of the public now are. You go back to September, Mike, we were told in Wales that you can't leave your local authority, but you can go to the pub. Mm. Uh, but the policy now in Wales is you can leave your local authority, but you can't go to the pub. Right. We were told from several months that there's no relationship between schools passing on the virus and that transmitting into the community. But yet schools have been closed next week, secondary schools. So yeah. there's all these mixed messages. 
And I think that's where the public start then thinking, well, do we know exactly what we're doing with all of this? And what is the logic behind actually shutting the schools? Because one of the things that they've been very clear about here in London, uh, as far as Boris Johnson and Downing Street is concerned, is that they really don't want to shut the schools because apart from anything else, it makes life very difficult for people who need uh, to get childcare for the kids, which is very difficult to do. It makes all the difference in the world to people who need to go out to work uh, to know that their kids are, are at school. I mean, what's the logic of shutting the schools down? Well, I think the the Welsh government argument would be that if you've got lots of people mixing, and I think they've said there's no evidence that the school mixing is an issue. It's more right. people who are mixing after school with regards to all of that. But if you apply what the UK government and Welsh government have both been saying, that there's no evidence that schools are causing the increasing transmission, mm. then if you apply that logic, Mike, then there is no logic to closing the schools. No, there isn't. I mean, my kids' school um, here in England have had maybe half a dozen cases since they reopened in September, and that's it. You know, they send out a little letter. They tell everybody that uh, the people who were the closest to those people who might have got infected, who are either teachers or pupils, uh, will be told to self-isolate for 14 days. Uh, But they don't shut the school. They don't shut the year. They don't shut anything. They just go, okay, we've had one case. And that has been a perfectly successful strategy. You know, it hasn't determined that more people got COVID. Well, I think that's the, the bit of evidence that's kind of lacking, isn't it, with regards to the schools, that if, if there was a strong confidence that the schools were leading to the big increase, then, we, you know, you wouldn't have the schools open in the first place. We did start seeing, Mike, the big rapid rise in COVID, the second wave start around mm. the middle of September, about 10 days after the school. Yeah, and we, so, funny so, that. So it, so it could well be that there is an impact with schools, but the, the chief medical officers and chief scientific officers keep continually telling us that, there isn't any impact. So if you're going on that basis, you would keep the schools open with regards to right. the policy, I think. Well, I mean, the, the, the current line in, in England anyway, certainly, is that, you know, the reason for the mass testing is to discover how many people may have the uh, virus without actually knowing they've got it. Because it's that dangerous that you can have it without having any symptoms. But whether or not those people are then spreading it anywhere is anybody's guess. And at the end of the day, the idea that you somehow start talking about putting places into tier three as a result of a lot of school infections is completely bonkers in my view. Well, what we saw in Wales, in particular in Cardiff, when the universities went back, we saw it in different parts of England as well. The, the big rises in kind of Manchester, uh, Newcastle mm. and, and Cardiff in particular was down to university students. We know the data shows that you know the majority of people who sadly end up dying w- with the disease are kind of the elderly and yeah. over 70, et cetera. So I think possibly, Mike, the, the kind of the rationale and I know the teachers' unions have been calling to close schools is that if children have the virus, the chances of them being you know seriously ill is very, very marginal. Right. I suppose they're looking at that if we close the schools now, that when we allow uh, families to get together over Christmas, if a child does have the virus, uh, if we have a two week gap between them having the virus, say, potentially in school and not knowing about it and then mixing with, say, elderly grandparents, that will reduce their risk. But that also, though, Mike, goes on the basis that uh, a lot of these, say, 12 to 16 year olds are going to just sit in the house next week when mm. the schools are closed. Yeah. Now, if that's the, is that going to happen? I don't know. I know. It's a, it's a remarkable sort of mess that we seem to have found ourselves in. Jamie, thank you very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, uh, we're going to talk, though, about Barbara Windsor, Dame Barbara Windsor, no less. She's died at the age of 83. Uh, She's been in a care home uh, for the last few weeks, and she was in the company, of course, of her husband, Scott Mitchell. Uh, When she did pass away, he's been with her for the last seven days. Interestingly enough... I think Dame Barbara Windsor uh, is a very uh, a very sort of, you know, telling member of the celebrity culture in this country because while uh, Twitter is uh, remembering her, they've called her best known for her role as Peggy Mitchell in EastEnders. However, before EastEnders ever happened, she was a massive star of stage and screen and was more famous, I would say, for appearing in a load of carry-on films. Let's talk now to Johnny Seifert, Talk Radio's uh, showbiz editor, because he, of course, uh, much younger than me, I can't possibly tell you how young he is because it wouldn't be allowed, um, is, has, has watched her uh, through thick and thin on EastEnders, but probably not on anything else. Johnny, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. And yeah, you're right. And the, the most interesting thing about that is that EastEnders and soap operas in general over the past 60 years since Coronation Street started don't normally take established people. Wendy Richards had done I Being Served. Yes. And that was kind of at that time seen as, oh, she is famous, but will people see her as a new character? And then Barbara came in and it was like, 
okay, Peggy Mitchell is here. The original Peggy was in it in 1991, and three years later, they brought her back with Barbara Windsor. And mm. Barbara Windsor then became the icon of EastEnders. She still is. If you go, if you look at any scene in the Queen Vic now in the pub, there's a picture of Barbara just behind the uh, counter. Right. Right. So, I mean, as far as you were concerned, you know, you sort of grew up watching EastEnders, and that's where you knew Barbara Windsor from, right? Yeah, I, I had heard later on that she'd done the carry-on films. Obviously, I've seen that scene with the yellow bikini being flipped off her. Yes. But, yeah, for me, she was EastEnders, and she still is EastEnders. And there was a big thing. When she left EastEnders in 2010, the big question was, could EastEnders survive without her? And mm. I don't think EastEnders has ever been the same since she left in 2010. Right. Yeah, I think EastEnders has had a very interesting last few years, hasn't it? Because when it used to be the absolutely kind of dominating show on television, and, you know, I, I think their, their Christmas special used to get something ridiculous like 23 million people watching it. It's nothing like that now. Um, and, and, I mean, even friends of mine that used to watch it have kind of given up on it now. It's so, soap opera is a, a kind of a thing of the past. But Carry On film, whenever they come on I mean I don't think I, I could tell you honestly that I've watched one all the way through but you can watch it for sort of 20 minutes and they're very funny well we miss that slapstick old humour we're so kind of concerned of how we speak and that we don't want to offend anyone now but this is why also pantomimes have always been so successful because people love those double entendres they love the silliness they love the campness and that's what carry on defined and that's what pantomimes have still tried to kind of emulate to today's generations yes exactly right and as far as the showbiz world is concerned johnny how have they reacted to, to barbara windsor because again she was a woman who had a very interesting private life you know she was married uh, to, to to people who were shall we say in the past associated with our friends in the east end who might not have been altogether uh, the nicest people in the world <laughs> um but i mean everyone loved her really didn't they yeah, and I think that's the really telling thing. You see a lot of celebrities, and I know a lot of celebrities, you know a lot of celebs, and we know that off-camera they are very different people. I never got to actually meet Dame Barber, but I've never heard a bad word said against her. Mm. I've always heard about her laughter, about how she would always stop for her fans and speak to every single person. And she was in that... What I love about Barbara and her friendship group was she was in that friendship group with Scylla Black, Paul O'Grady, Christopher Biggins, who was on with Julia early on. Yeah. And it was those iconic people and they would come out together and you're like, I, I don't care how old I am. Mm. I want to be friends with all of them. I want to be sitting at that table. Because imagine what those anecdotes would be like. Imagine the way that they would carry those stories. Obviously, they'd be fighting to say who's got the best story. But you can just imagine they know everybody. And I think that is really telling. And Every celebrity today has come out and said, you know, I loved you as Peggy or I worked with you. There's not been one negative tweet. And usually when someone passes away, you'll get a couple of negative people, mm. not a single one today. No, of course. And also, I think she kind of heralds a, a, a simpler time. You know, we sit around now wondering what on earth we're going to do next year. We don't know whether COVID is going to disappear or not. We don't know whether we can go anywhere. You know, we're worried about Brexit. We're worried about European Union stuff. Politics is going on. You know, Barbara Windsor, for me anyway, represents a kind of a kinder gentler sort of simpler time really 100 percent, and obviously in more recent years since she came out a couple of years ago with uh having dementia she and her husband scott launched dementia revolution they ran the london marathon a couple of years ago with a couple of these senders cast and that was very telling as well because she wanted to carry on educating people she wanted to spread awareness and you're right it was a simpler time where she just wanted to go look this is me you know this is where i am now she came back to eastenders uh, about four years ago and that was her big exit and even that was like this is me i'm going to do one final scene in eastenders and it was the most amazing scene it was so powerful um but yeah I mean, incredible, isn't it? I'm just watching, uh, as we're speaking, um, footage of her meeting Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson giving her a, a kiss on the cheek. She was the quintessential kind of English pin-up, wasn't she? A hundred percent. She actually did a scene with Boris Johnson. I think it was about, whenever he was London mayor, don't ask me these Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. They did a scene in EastEnders. And there was also a thing that in 2001, going back to Wendy Richards again, in 2001, the Queen and Prince Charles came to Albert Square. Mm. And Barbara Windsor was the one to show the Queen around. And Wendy Richards, there's a whole thing about how Wendy and Barbara could have fallen out over this because uh, Wendy walked around with Prince Charles and Barbara was with the Queen. And Wendy was like, well, I've been in EastEnders since 1985 and longer. Mm. So, yeah, um, but her and Boris Johnson, there was a very iconic scene in the uh, Queen Vic, I remember. How did Meghan Markle somehow miss out on that? How come she never made it onto the EastEnders <laughs> set? I mean, for heaven's sake. 
Well, she's an actress. She had done Suits, so, you know. Well, I mean, I'm very surprised. Now, more importantly, uh, uh, for looking ahead uh, to next year, Johnny, I mean, I don't think I've seen you since March, have I? Um, are you planning on ever returning to work at any point? I mean, I know you're probably going to tell me that you've been working every single day, but, you know, I, I know how easy it is working from home. You fall into, you know, bad habits. You don't uh, wear trousers, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I am wearing a shirt for you and I am wearing a pair of shorts underneath. <laughs> I had to dress up on the top half. Um, I, um, I ever come in, Well, I, I am there. You know I'm there on a Saturday night with our dear friend Harriet Minter. Oh, of course. 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock. You can about always Harriet. hear me there. Is that show still on? Extraordinary. <laughs> that, <laughs> that show is still on. It's thriving. I'm very excited for tomorrow night. Um, I will be back one day well, now's your in chance, the very long now's future. Now's your chance to plug the show for tomorrow night. Who's on it tomorrow night? Uh... Tomorrow night on Badass Women's Hour, 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, uh, me. Um, that's about it, really, at the that's moment. It. I've right. booked myself. Right, well yeah, done. But look, it's fine. I've booked myself. Um, also, don't forget Andy J's Driven Show tomorrow with Barry from EastEnders, Sean Williamson, Shauna Phillips from Love Island, and Chris Packham. Tremendous. And we're doing a one-hour Jeremy Clarkson special next week. Fantastic. I'll add that in as well. When are you going to get me on that show, by the way? I would love you to come on that show, Mike. I'm okay. also waiting for your book. I saw you had a book coming out. Oh, it I is coming out. I want to put up my radio book It show. is. Yeah, you're not in it, though, sadly. But uh, never mind. Listen, Can Johnny, I come to the launch party? Of course you can. I may get you to organise it. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Johnny Seifert uh, giving us the benefit of his great wisdom about uh, Dame Barbara Windsor, who sadly passed away. Uh, she was suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, she hasn't been very well for quite a long time. Um, but her husband, uh, of course, was by her side. Scott Mitchell said it is with deep sadness that I can confirm that my darling wife, Barbara, passed away at 8.35pm uh, on Thursday, the 10th of December at a London care home she died peacefully and i spent the last seven days by her side a fantastic woman a fantastic career a fantastic individual really and all terribly british you'd have to say uh, this is talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now it would seem that all the noises coming out of downing street are all about a no deal uh, brexit all about a no deal with the european union all we ever wanted was our freedom uh, is what it says on the front page of the daily express it's 1630 22 days since we voted for Brexit, but the EU has never truly understood. We've talked about this quite a bit this week, and I think it's right to say that the European Union doesn't really quite understand why we want to leave, why people voted to leave, why we don't want to be part uh, of their organisation, why we can still consider ourselves to be European and yet not in the EU. Let's find out uh, from Kate Harry what she's made of it all. Uh, Kate, very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Good afternoon, Mike. Lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you too. Um, it's been a strange <laughs> old week, hasn't it? Because there's been a bit of kind of deja vu going on where we've all been saying, well, this is a bit like the old times. And I never really believed that there was any point in Boris going over there uh, for his steamed turbot and pumpkin soup. There really was never really going to be some kind of breakthrough happening. Um, they're making a lot of noises about no deal. But what are you hearing? 
Well, I think it's going to be very difficult now to get a, a deal or a, a trading arrangement. I hate the word deal because it's, uh, you know, it, it was used when we were talking about withdrawal agreement. Yes. I, I, think it, I think it's going to be very difficult now for the Prime Minister, given his very, very strong words last night and during the week about sovereignty for uh, any real rolling back on this, the three key areas, the areas of fishing, um, the level playing field, and just generally not having the European Court of Justice overruling us. So I, both sides now look like they want to be the one that isn't quite the one that walks away. But the problem is sometimes somebody's going to have to actually say this is over. And I imagine what they'll do is have some kind of... Um, uh, you know, to, um, very careful, both of them at the same time putting that statement saying that, you know, sorry, this hasn't worked out, but we're still good friends. Um, although I have to say some of the things the EU has been saying recently makes me feel quite annoyed when um, ministers keep going on about our good friends in mm. the EU. Well, this is what a number of people have asked me about, this kind of conversation around the words partnership um, that, that, that people have picked up on, because it's the first time really that we've heard that we're going to have some kind of partnership with the EU. I mean, I personally don't really care what they call it, but in some ways it's important what they call it. Well, yes, and, and you know, I think most people and most people who voted leave uh, and who are listening to your programme now, you know, they didn't think about things like, tariffs and trade deals and arrangements about this and that they were voting and certainly i was voting on a very straightforward principle of our country being able to make its own rules and laws and control it so all of the things that we've talked about and of course that does mean that there are going to have to be changes but i do find the this terribly negative reporting from some media of what uh, no trading agreement would mean uh, you know is making people even more frightened than they need to be because mm. clearly we're not going to stop selling things and people are not going to stop bringing things in it's just that you know it, it's, it's almost the idea that if you don't have a trade deal you can't trade yes now that of course not going to happen and and you know it's all this nonsense about supermarket prices and so on well i think that's up to the our government to be actually telling the supermarkets very clearly, look, you're making a huge amount of profits. Make sure that any any increase in the short term, and we all knew that there would be slight difficulties in the short term, right. clearly. But, you know, I'm looking at things long term for the country, and that's why um, I, I, I really... The, the idea now is that we would end up with some kind of agreement that is allowing the European Union still to have control over any of our our doings in our country, um, other than on a, you know, chatting and partnershiping on certain issues to do with security and so on. I have no problem with that, provided we cannot be told what we're going to do. Yes. Well, I, I'm a great fan of analogies, Kate, and I fancy this one, right? It's a bit like moving, uh, going on holiday, finding that the hotel room they've given you isn't very nice and you want another one. Uh, the bad news is you're going to have to carry your bag to the new room, but the new room's a lot better than the old room. And I think that's kind of fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of you know, very good analogies that come out about it. And it, But, it, you know, it's just everyone wants, to, not everyone, a lot of people want to make it as difficult as possible. Clearly those people who, it's, isn't it ironic that all the people who were saying, isn't it dreadful, it's going to be terrible if we leave the EU and we'd be absolutely sunk as a country. And yet the EU is so terrified of us being a great country and being able to uh, do so much better that they want to still control how we run our, yeah. our economic um, you know, situation. And, and uh, I, I, think, I think people are now just fed up. They want to get it over with. Let's, let's you know, get a, a stop to this on Sunday night. It mm. would be really quite ridiculous if they say they're going to carry on talking for another few days. Oh, I know. Because there doesn't really seem to be any point. I mean, as the Express has pointed out this morning, you know, it's now 1,632 days since the, uh, since the actual decision was taken. And I found it very bizarre yesterday, Kate, when they came out and said, well, um, obviously, uh, come the, full, uh, the 1st of January, if in fact there is no deal, uh, the planes will continue to fly, the cars will continue to, to, to pass through the borders. And it's like, well, the only reason that wouldn't happen is if you stopped it happening. So why do you have to say that it will continue to happen? Uh, because you don't really need to do that, do you? 
Well, it, it, it just kind of adds to all of us who felt all along that the EU were so angry that we were leaving because they were terrified that, you know, other countries might think about it too when, when we are successful. And then the idea that they would still actually keep fishing for another year just like that, I mean, that, that is just not, not acceptable. Um, and I think the vast majority of the public, even those who didn't vote to leave, must now see that when they see what's happening within the European Union, that we're much, much better off leaving. Oh, absolutely right. And I mean, in the post-COVID kind of atmosphere and, and, and economies that we're all going to be inheriting uh, and we're trying to recover, I mean, I think it's a far better position to be in, not to be attached to the EU, where they would no doubt be asking for the old begging bowl to be filled up every two seconds, you know, because, oh, we've got to help out some country uh, far and, and away that isn't doing as well as we are. Yeah, we, we they will miss our money enormously and i think that's part of the the problem with mm. the eu you know they know that we have been paying almost more more than many many other countries we i think we're the, the second highest contributor apart from germany and and that can't go on and, and certainly when we look at how they sorted out the money for covid and trying to make each country pay i'm very glad that we're not part of it i think we need to remind people now that we're actually not in the european union mm. and what this is about is is a trading arrangement but you know the world will carry on trading whatever happens on uh, january the first with between us and the european union no exactly right and what are you making of the way that the kind of um, internal markets bill is being sort of shunted backwards and forwards because obviously it went to the house of lords certain things were taken out of it uh, the government said they were going to put them back in now they're saying they might not put them back in i think people uh, are probably incredibly bored by this whole conversation but but what is actually going on with that well, I think it was, um, you know, the internal market bill, the sections on it to do with clause, the clauses to do with Northern Ireland were mm. there sort of as a safeguard if, if the European Union uh, didn't show goodwill in terms of the detail of what was going to happen between Northern Ireland and Great Britain and Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, Michael Gove, of course, went over, had a cup of tea or, I don't know, perhaps another nice lunch and came back and said, it's all OK, don't worry, we don't need it anymore because the European Union is going to, you know, in principle agree to all these things. Well, my view of in principle with the European Union until you've got it actually uh, completely locked down. So I was disappointed that they took... Um, actually having, you know, argued strongly to keep it in in the Lords and lose heavily, then go back to the Commons and put it in and then come back to the Lords for the Lords presumably to have tried to put it out for the government itself to take it out. And I think as um, Claire Fox, um, Baroness Fox said yesterday, I think on your on your programme, you know, it was like being marched up to the top of the hill. And yes. Then, oh, no, they'll go down again. And it, the whole thing was just ridiculous. And I spoke in that and, and said that, you know, that people would feel this is just not sensible that we're mm. doing this because we don't trust the European Union, but you know, in the House of Lords, as you probably know, there's huge, huge majority of um, Remain Lords um, who love to come out and vote on anything to do with the EU. Oh, they do, as indeed do certain sections of the media who have not stopped with their kind of relentless campaign of negativity. They're still doing it even now. You know, you still get people uh, on social media saying, well, tell us one good thing that's going to happen after Brexit. Or, you know, tell us one rule uh, that the European Union makes us uh, adhere to that we won't have to adhere to in the future. You know, just accept it, move on and get on with it. Well, and, and occasionally the nice of the BBC had something positive about some of the good things. I mean, one example, there was something about, you know, the banning of export of, of, of live animals, which people have been crying out for for a long time and we couldn't do because of European Union rules. And now, um, you know, DEFRA, the, the Department of Agriculture, has brought that in and that, that will happen. Now, that, that will upset, obviously, some, some farmers. But on the whole, that's something that we weren't able to do. Um, the, the irony is you won't be able to do it if... Um, in Northern Ireland, mm. because Northern Ireland is still saying as part of that little uh, EU, um, you know, EU rules on certain aspects of our trade, which I'm disappointed in. But you know, it isn't it isn't actually going to change the constitutional position of Northern Ireland. I'm pretty certain.
No, I'm pretty sure of that as well. I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who said, what do you think is going to be happening? What's it going to be like? I don't think much is going to change at all. I think you and I, Kate, will still be able to sit down, presuming, you know, COVID restrictions uh, allowing in a restaurant. Uh, we can have some steamed turbot if, if we wish. Uh, there won't be any real problem with uh, getting any sort of foodstuffs into the country or medicines into the country. You know, it will be, I think, we will look back on this whole period of history uh, as a massive over kind of a complication of something that should have been quite easy to do. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when the history is written, uh, there will be a lot of people who will feature as being people who have just, you know, made it so difficult, mm. something that could have been relatively easy. Um, but I, 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 you know, you're saying about the restrictions, because I'm moving back and forth from Northern Ireland you know, to London, I kind of wake up in the morning thinking, Oh, now are we in a, are we in tier three? Can I go out? Well, you know, everything is different. Of course, <laughs> in Northern Ireland today, everything's opened up again. All right. the except well, pubs can't open unless they're serving food, and some of them have chosen some of the pubs and restaurants have chosen not to open. But uh, on the whole, Northern Ireland, all the shops are open again. We had a three-week lockdown and then a two-week back, then a two-week lockdown, and now we're back to sort of uh, the the new normal until it comes to uh, nearer Christmas when we go over to the Christmas rules, which yes. uh, I think the. I mean, it's terribly frustrating, isn't it? Not least for many, many small businesses. I mean, we're being threatened currently in London uh, with going back into tier three or going into tier three for the first time, based purely and simply on a bunch of statistics which are coming out of Havering, which is almost, uh, I was going to say, so far east of London that it's nearly in France. Um, And we're told, oh, well, you're going to have to shut all the restaurants and the pubs, which would be absolutely devastating for so many people. I get calls every day now from businesses, uh, from pub owners, from hotel owners who are desperately uh, worried that their businesses are just going to completely collapse. Yes, I think businesses can't, small businesses can't just keep having this one minute, this then change, then back again. It is so dispiriting, and mm. so many of them are are literally on, you know, on on the on the breadline of of deciding whether they're going to be able to open again. It is it's just wrong, and you know, I I know I, we kind of share the same view about the the idea that the more people we test, the more people obviously who are going to have had had COVID or have it. Um, I'm, um, I'm I'm very, very frustrated about it. And I do think that um, the country as a whole is just so fed up that we're actually now getting to a situation where they're doing what people should be doing anyway, which is doing what they think sensible and, and um, you know, looking after themselves and looking after their friends without having to be dictated to about every single thing you do. Yes, quite right. I mean, that was always going to be the kind of slight uh, dichotomy, I suppose, for those of us watching uh, things as they've been unfolding this week from Sky News, where, um, you know, Kay Burley and Beth Rigby have now been suspended uh, from their jobs for three months and six months, respectively. Um, because part of me thinks, you know, you know, what it was that they did was not the worst thing in the world. However, you know, they're in positions of some privilege and, and they have been particularly hard line about people like Dominic Cummings and others. And so I think it's probably right that uh, that, that what's, ha- what's happened to them has happened. Yes, I mean, I, I think there it's, 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 it's the hypocrisy, really, of, of uh, you know, both of them in a way and who, who've given people who've come onto their programme as they were lucky enough to get asked any kind of, you know, came on with any criticism of what was happening, treated them as if they were some kind of, you know, you you just want people to die attitude. Mm, right. And, and uh, so I think, you know, I think there'll be a lot of people who, who won't necessarily be upset that they're not going to see um, two of those uh, particular Sky people on, on um, television. I just wonder, are they still getting paid while they stay <laughs> home for the next six, three months? Well, I mean, I'm less concerned about that, really, since they're not working for the BBC. If they were working for the BBC, I would be a bit more concerned about whether they're spending my money uh, and travelling around the world and having a lovely time. But, I mean, what's happening as far as the Irish situation goes in terms of Dublin? Because they're uh, kind of between a rock and a hard place at the moment, it seems to me, because it looks like the EU's kind of thrown them under the bus and just gone, well, you know, we'll deal with you later. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there is, it doesn't get much publicity, but there is a growing... Uh, number of people in uh, the Republic of Ireland who are thinking that perhaps just as they joined the European uh, Union after uh, well, the, the um, European community uh, when um, the United Kingdom did, that they are maybe should be thinking that longer term they will want to leave as well because they're, they're 
you know, their links with the UK are so much greater than their links in terms of trade with, with the EU mm. and all of that. We're such closely knit. We've got the common travel area. You know, you, you can be British and Irish. You can vote in England if you're Irish. All of these things. It just doesn't long term make sense for the Republic of Ireland to be on that sort of extreme end of the European Union and still being part of it. They yeah. have, I think they've been used, I think the European Union has used the Irish in many ways and the Irish have, have used the issue, of, as I've said before, the border to get some things that they wanted. But long term, you know, they'll be, they'll be, as you say, put under a bus if it sits the European mm. Union. Well, that's right. I mean, I remember reading a story about a month or so ago saying that, uh, you know, there was a threat to Ireland that they could lose their ability to export um, Irish sort of uh, meat products to England, which is their biggest market. And so they're suddenly going, well, hang on a minute, you know, we don't want this to happen. Yes, I think there's a lot of businesses and traders in, in the Republic of Ireland who over the next week or so will be beginning to perhaps realise that this is going to affect them uh, you know, more than it's actually in the end going to affect perhaps Northern Ireland yeah. or, or indeed um, certainly the United Kingdom. But um, time will tell. And, and, you know, as you say, I just think most people will wake up on January the 1st and won't see a huge amount of difference, any difference at all mm. in terms of what's happening to them. And for those businesses that are worried and affected, you know, there, there will be support and help, I presume, from, from government to get through it. But um, for, for me, it's, it's important. I mean, it will be a very important day, January the 1st, because although we've left, you know, the transition period has meant that we haven't had any real differences. So mm. that's going to be, it's going to be a nice New Year's Eve. I think so, yeah, despite the fact, as I said to my son the other day, we'll be waiting up till midday, uh, midnight rather, but for nothing to happen because there's not any fireworks going on, thanks to Sadiq Khan. But uh, finally, Kate, what about the uh, the future for the EU once we do leave? Because I think once it sinks in to a lot of other countries that the, the biggest or one of the biggest countries in Europe has just decided to opt out of it, I think that's bad news for the future of the EU, isn't it? Well, I think they are bound to be worried about that, particularly as we're seeing some of the Eastern European countries like Hungary and, and, and Poland and mm. or flex their muscles a great deal more and not be prepared to put up with some of the, uh, the Commission's decisions. I mean, it really does show just how undemocratic the Commission is, that countries can be overruled. We saw what happened to Greece uh, a few years ago. So I think it's it's it could be just that catalyst, us leaving, that really does make a lot of other countries begin to realise, especially when we start doing well, very well, as we will do. I'm absolutely confident mm. that, that, that our country will, you know, we've got, got all that entrepreneurism, we've got the technology, we've got people who really want to make things happen. And um, when that all happens, I think there'll be a few people, in, a lot of people in another country saying, hang on, maybe we should do the same. But I hope it's a lot easier for them than it is for us to <laughs> leave. <laughs> Absolutely right. Listen, Kate, great to talk to you. Have a great Christmas if we don't speak before uh, that happens. And uh, we'll speak to you in the new year when we are uh, free from these particular binds and the, the particular uh, ties that we have to the European Union, which will be great, actually. I don't think you should in any way worry about whether that will be a bad thing because it will not be a bad thing. Trust me. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.47, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Literally no compliance whatsoever in the back room. Oh, there we go. That's better. This is... This, what's going on? I mean, this is the final one of the year. This is very disrespectful. It is. Insubordination. I'm already, I'm already feeling insulted in a horrible way. I'm going to suspend all of you for yes. six months. Six months suspension, that's but it. But no pay. No pay. No right. pay. Absolutely no travelling to Africa either. Absolutely not. That's it. On you go. Welcome. Good afternoon. Hello. And welcome. No, yes. you're welcome. No, I'm welcome. You're Thank welcome you. to the Period Awards. Uh, this is normally when we look back over the past week. Yes. Of the so-called, so-called Independent Republic of My Grand mm. Talk Radio. But because it's the last one of the year. Yes. Because I am going to How did we get here so quickly? I don't know. 
the end of year Perry Awards. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I know. I mean, twenty. But it's exciting just... though. You're going to go and see your family. Yes. For the which first I'm time. Super excited in, about. In really what eleven months or something? Yeah. Yeah, me yeah, too. So I'm going to see my daughter for the first time since February. I think mm. she was last, which is going to be lovely. Yes. You know, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's good. Listen, mm. good things ahead. Yes. Which is what we like. And, you know, especially the next 10 minutes or so. Mm. So, as I said, this is where we normally look back over the last week. But yes. because it's the last one of the year, it's going to be the last six months or Excellent. so. Excellent. And there'll uh, be things we've forgotten, obviously. Yes, mm. definitely. I mean, thankfully, I write everything down. So, I've got most of it. But anyway, enough That's good. of this because the, there's a lot to get through. Yes. Um, it's always tradition, Mike. Mm. The first pair goes to you. Thank you. And that's going to be no difference today. In Excellent. fact, most of them go to you. Good. This is the first one. It's a compilation that I've simply just called Confused Mike Graham. <laughs> uh, oh, um, what are we doing? 0344 is the number. Let's get uh, some news headlines, shall we? Uh, yeah, it's time for uh, Rachel Jewell. It is Tuesday, so let us say a very good morning to Neil Oliver, our regular correspondent up in Stirling, Scotland. I'm sure it's Wednesday, Mike. Absolutely. Well, Nigel, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. It all kicks off Wednesday, May the 20th, I think I'm right in saying. Uh, oh, sorry, no, May the 1st. I, I beg your pardon. May the 13th. Tomorrow, tomorrow, the 13th, it kicks off and it runs until the 3rd of June. Four weeks, 1pm. Yeah, sorry. I've, I've, I've suddenly become kind of uh, digitally an idiot. Sorry about that. Radio. Now, it's Tuesday. Uh, no, it's not. It's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened a lot. Maybe I just don't recognise Tuesday somehow. Or well, Wednesday. Or any other day, well, really. Well, it's very, as I say, it's difficult, you know, when you say as many words as I do Listen, to get them all in the right order. Mike, it's very difficult to be switched on at all times. It is. And, and even guests, guests and callers sometimes they get a little bit confused. Yes. This one is a classic. It's the Perry Award for the wrong namer of the year. Let's talk to Lee, uh, who's in Harrogate. Hi, Lee. Hi, Graham. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you. How are you doing? Uh, Let's take some calls and find out. Uh, Francis is in London. Hello, Francis. Hello, Ian. You OK? It's Mike, actually. (laughs) Let's go to the phones first of all, though. Harry is in Buckinghamshire. Hello, Harry. Hi there, Graham. I'm Mike. Uh, Dr. Pencarnia, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Graham. Uh, Dr. (laughs) Barrett, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you, Graham. Good thank morning. you. We're not prepared, uh, Graham. I'm so sorry. Uh, yes. This is Dr. Barrett-Pankano. Thank you. I didn't want to correct thank you at the time, but my, my, name, my first name is actually Mike. Graham is my second name. Let's talk to Gabby, who's up in Edinburgh. Hello, Gabby. Hello, um, it's Dexter, by the way, Mike. Who is it? Dexter, just call me Dexter. Oh, Dexter, OK. I don't know why it says Gabby, then. That's not even, that doesn't even sound like it was a mistaken hearing uh, problem. No, no, it's my name. My son name is Gabby, and this has been... Oh, I see. Out. Sorry. Dexter, yeah. Dexter's good. Uh, let's talk to Pete in Hounslow. Hi, Pete. Pete, it's not Pete, it's Ian. <laughs> oh, it's Ian. Hello. Sorry, it says Pete here in front yeah. of me. I don't know how that happened. How are you? Peter, listen, great questions. If we ever get man ha- Matt Hancock... Man ha- Hancock? Matt Hancock on this show... <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> listen, that could have gone a lot worse. I know, really. I know. Uh, it is difficult, isn't it? But it's not half of those weren't even my fault, though. I no. was I was given inf- incorrect information. Yes, I think it's incompetence. On I that think side so. Of the I think an incompetence report must be issued. I don't know who's running the show, no, back there, but honestly, absolutely shocking. Not a good job. Yeah. Now I've had to dig. Making me uh, look stupid. Yes, which is unacceptable. <laughs> For the next one, I've had to go deep in the archive to find it. The mm. following parrot award was presented to you yes. with a seventy-five pound fine. Ooh. Uh, which you still haven't paid, by the way. Okay. Uh, um, you know, the pine was for... The, the pine. The pine. No, I see, it's happening to you it, now. That's it. The pine was... <laughs> because you were littering the studio. And yes, that's right. We go all the way back to April to find the first time of many that Mike Graham ripped up the Guardian. See the word Guardian and it yeah. makes me feel quite... In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rip it up. I'm going to rip the Guardian up right now, live on the radio. It's absolute rubbish. I mean, even if if, if I was editing it, I'd say to them, for God's sake, get some MP. I don't care how far back on the back benches the MP is. I don't care. I'm just absolutely not going to stand for this unless you get me a quote from someone who says, we're worried about a power vacuum. Yeah, yeah. Um, That was Kate Hoey. Yes, it? yes, it was, yes. Tremendous. Yeah. Very good. The, I like the sound effects as well. I know. It was good ripping, wasn't it? Yeah, That's it sounds it great. In. Yeah, great Fantastic. sound effects. Now, sometimes interviews get interrupted by all sorts of things, by people in the background, doorbells, delivery drivers. And one of my favourite things to collect over the last few months has been like uh, has been dogs barking in the background. However, yes. um, the uh, no, I'm not going to go for a dog. Instead, this parrot goes to travel guru Simon Calder for the animal intrusion of the year. 
My goodness me, it's all confusing. Well, it's a very big area these days, isn't it? Keeping up with various different countries. You're being attacked by some seagulls, by the sounds of it. So you might want to take, uh, yeah, want to take too, cover. Yeah. They're huge, those things, and indestructible, by the way. Uh, they might carry you off. <laughs> Bless him. It was a very uh, dramatic uh, encounter, though. It was very dramatic, but even more so, because Simon Calder not only gets one pair of war, he gets two. Mm. Live from Venice earlier this summer, he gave us the boat collision of the year. Uh, is it an actual river? I don't know. You've got river specialists who will be able to tell you that. Well, do you oh, remember? Crikey. And we've seen our first collision. <laughs> oh, Did good. You see that? Goodness yeah. me! Listen, you might have to be a witness to that. You better, you better get uh, your. Well, uh, we got it all on better, camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He said it as if he was expecting more. I know, as in like, our oh. first collision. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had any more, thankfully, because that's what we want. Now back to Mike, as. I've said many times, you're only human. I am. You only very, very rarely make mistakes. However, I must admit, the next one, I've had a lot of fun putting together. Enjoy. It's the best of... Oops, Mike forgets <laughs> how to speak again. Good morning and welcome to the, to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've been... Uh, uh, what's the word? I've completely <laughs> forgotten the word now. And we've got a bit of baking for you too before the end of the show. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station. Well, I thought she did actually because the, the, the thunder is as a... I can't speak. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, Borough Market. One of the greatest food out, 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 the outlets, I should say. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Loads of there. Imon uh, is in the Midlands. Imon, how are you? How, yeah, hi. How are you doing? I should say. Good morning, Mike. How are you? It's hard you to right? say Imon and hi one after the other. Apparently, it I don't know so why hard. I keep going there. Why yeah. do I keep doing that? I, I didn't know. even know that I was doing. that. I don't know, but you know, it's it's hilarious. So yes. please carry on. I'll try. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much. No, thank you. Mm. And time for another classic now as well. The likes of Lewis McCart should be really, really concerned because if there's anything we've learned this year is that Mike Graham has got this natural talent uh, when it comes uh, to celebrity impressions. And his best work is, without a doubt, the Duke of Duchess of Netflix, Harry and Meghan. Please enjoy. Welcome to... A new TV show, the like of which has never been seen before. The only way is Sussex. With me, the Prince of Sussex, and the Duke of Netflix, Harry Windsor, and my beautiful wife, Meghan Markle. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear baby Archie. <laughs> Finding freedom. <laughs> Because we've been in chains. We've been kept captive by your family. Now we've escaped to Chateau Marmont. Have you ordered some more avocado, Harry? We're nearly out of it. What are you doing, Archie? Nothing. Why? <laughs> I haven't got any friends. Why? They don't like you. Bless. Poor old Archie. Poor old Archie, yeah. yeah. There's not much of a Christmas coming up for him, is there? Well, no, they're no in friends. lockdown in California, Lockdown in Montecito. Yeah. 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 Just have a caravan toast. Tragic. Oh, well. Mm. And um, for all the haters out there who will say, oh, well, he can only do Harry and Meghan. That is very unfair. And I've got a collection True. of the best other impressions of the year. The doom and gloom and, you know, there's nothing good going on. And it's not very good for us or them or you. She used to be famous for having a very nice, homely sort of attitude and talking like that a little bit <laughs> and talking about how she's still got the Chinese in and she still uh, liked to eat takeaway food and she still liked to, you know, do the dishes. Sky News is now <laughs> ready to declare the winner of the US presidential <laughs> election of 2020. Knowing me, furloughing you. Aha! As Jack Nicholson would say, is there any other kind? I cannot in all good conscience support Boris Johnson in this law-breaking endeavour. Can we not have £20 for every man, woman and child in Scotland? Uh, my favourite, Ian Blackford. That was Ian Blackford. And we also had Keir Starmer, Adele, mm. Adam Bolton, Alan Partridge, Jack Nicholson and Geoffrey Cox. Yes. Keir Starmer sounds a lot like Adam Bolton, doesn't he? Yes. Funnily yes. enough. You might need to work on that a little bit. I might bit. have to work on Just that, Just a yes. tiny well, bit. Well, luckily we've got some time. Yes, well, thankfully. And also, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm late, but hey. Um, and finally, finally, this year has seen the creation of the uh, James Larvin Perrot Award for Technical Incompetence, yes. named after 
our actually very competent, very competent. engineer, yes. James Larvin, which is very ironic, I know. Unfortunately, I have been unable to pick up just one because there have been so many. Right. So here's this year's best penalty awards for technical incompetence. We've still got to have a look at the government's own website, and this is very important. If people want to go to... Uh... Obviously, oh, I think we may have just lost your line there, David. We'll try and get it back. We can still see you, uh, but we can't hear you anymore. It sounded as though uh, it was one of those 1218 things that used to happen to us when uh, we were in the old studio uh, and suddenly the line would just go dead. Trying to have conversations with the government to try and clarify a few things. Yeah, we've, we've met with government on Friday. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I remember the twelve eighteen disappeared yeah. already. Well, getting back because so many people are going to be sick, and all the people that went to the Mardi Gras have flown back to their communities in different parts of America and are currently spreading the virus. That's it. Are you still there? No. No. Where's gone. Peter gone? <laughs> Let's try and get him back because uh, we haven't finished yet. <laughs> not quite sure what happened. I'm not saying it kills the virus, but once it's out in the open, like you're coughing. Oh, do you know what's happened? It's 12.18. This is so weird. We've gone again. This is amazing. You could not make this up, I tell you. Every day, 12.18, phone box shuts down. That's true. If you can show that you've had a negative test yesterday or something, uh, you ought to be able to be allowed in, right? I think we may have lost Dame Esther. Are you there? I think we did. We'll try and get Dame Esther back because um, I think we just dropped the line. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Here we are. Uh, I'm playing back, uh, for some reason, my own voice, which is very strange. It can happen. Radio. Even my phone started talking to me now. I don't know how somehow I managed to switch that on. This stuff happens what all is the going time. on. I don't know why it happens to me all the I time. I don't know what you do with your phone, Mike. Well, it's, all it's randomly, just like talks. Well, sometimes it just picks up Siri or something and starts... I've probably just now done it again. Yes. And it, it starts <laughs> talking back to me. It's very weird. Yeah, my watch does that yeah. as well. Anyway, there was plenty of dating That was great. But, uh, listen, well done. No, well done you, for, you. For, you know, for making mistakes so often. And weirdly, um, as you were in the midst of explaining all of that, mm. a cardboard cutout of Kay Burley suddenly appeared in the... Uh, Ops room. <laughs> I'm not quite sure gone. why. And she's gone. Maybe because she's been suspended. She's suspended. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, bless. Marta, brilliant. Thank anyway. you so much. We're sorry we're late for Ian yes, Collins. He will sorry. be coming next and uh, we'll be back on Monday at 10 o'clock. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.